Hello and welcome to this week's AlphaPod. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle. We're joined this week by Phil Oakley. How are you doing, Phil? Yeah, I'm very good, thanks, John. I have your Alpha report here in front of me, and I like your first sentence. What I'm about to write is bearish stuff, but I promise to end on an optimistic note. Uh, and, I, and this bearish stuff is mainly about the Bank of England's uh, flirtation with negative interest rates. We have talked about that before. So, so instead, of, uh, instead of making this a gloomy podcast, should we, should we just cut to the companies? And, uh, and we'll come back to this another time, this speculation about negative interest rates. But let's talk about some, some interesting positive developments we're seeing, particularly around internet retail. Yeah, uh, there's a couple of couple of things that sprung out this week. ASOS or ASOS, depending on how you want to uh, pronounce it, and um, Dunham as well. I think there's some some good things going on in both these companies. ASOS for a long time. Um, Dunham is a more recent uh, improvement in in, in online. Uh, so it's also the topic of my uh, my magazine article this week. I looked into internet retail specifically to do with groceries, not not clothes, but groceries. And this is a very very complex business, and one that takes a lot of time, effort, and money to get right. And there are companies out there that are getting it right, and I think that that ASOS. Seems to be getting it right. Seems to be also making it better. Although there's a few interesting things going on in their results, which uh, which are worth talking about. And Dunelm, um, which is a you know, UK homeware retailer, really seems to have um, almost transformed its business in a quite short period of time. Uh, from going from a, I think even by their own admission, sort of two three years ago, it was quite a weak online offer uh, to one that now looks very, very good. Yeah, it's interesting because we know that some other sort of very large retailers, Marks and Spence in particular, have, have really struggled to make that transition from uh, a store model uh, to online. Next, which we've spoken about recently, is kind of in the midst of, of a really kind of major online transformation, which, uh, which could really, really change the way that business looks entirely. What, what is it that, that, uh, that Dunelm is doing and has been able to do in such a, a very quick space of time to, 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 as you say, go from something that's, that's very weak online to, to a very strong offering? Well, I'm not sure entirely. I mean, but it's, it's doing, doing a lot of things that the more, I think it's, you know, it's, it's learned from others and it's taking the, taking the bits from, from other operators and putting it into its, its model. And in some ways, being quite a late comer to this to this space has, has allowed it allowed it to benefit but it seems to be i think a lot of its success is in click and collect and i i think click and collect um makes a lot of sense for, for internet retail because delivery costs and also returns uh, which we'll come on and talk to in a minute are a, are a big headache can be a big headache and they they eat in they eat into your to your margin, and if you get it wrong, you can get it spectacularly wrong. And in fact, you know delivery costs are, you know, one of the big issues for food retailers in that clearly they're not they're not recovering them, and which is why one of the main reasons I think internet grocery is is not very profitable if profitable at all. So I think Dunelm have done done well, but it's also you know they've they've got their website 
and they've got their customer offer working very nicely. They've they've broadened the range of the products that they sell, and they've also been been very smart with tinkering around with with the price points of what they sell as well. So the range in terms of product and also price point, they seem to have got very well sorted at them this moment in time, particularly on the sort of lower price stuff. And it, they just seem to be executing their their sort of core competencies, not just online, but also, you know, in the stores as well. You know, the stores are trading very well. And I think, you know, what you get with a business is if is if you get a business that's doing a lot of things right and you communicate that message and that operational excellence within a company, you'll find that all the company does well. And I think it's I think it's what what's what's encouraging from Dunelm is that whilst it's you know its online business is you know growing very quickly, its its stores are also it's not coming at the expense of its stores. So you look at something like Next, and you can see that there is a a shift away from shopping in its stores to online. So where where its online business grows, it, it has been coming at the expense of, of its stores. And obviously you factor in the fact that it's a general trend of people spending less time on, on the high streets. But that's one of the things with Next. That doesn't seem to be happening at, happening at Dunelm. Uh, I think that's a very, very positive development. I mean, you, you could argue potentially that uh, Darnell, particularly its internet business, has had a bit of a tailwind from COVID. People are less inclined to go to the shops and, and, and more inclined to shop online. Um, COVID has also, uh, you know, sort of acts as a catalyst for the demise of some of Darnell's competitors. So, you know, it is, is in, in some sense the last man standing, uh, which has obviously given it some benefit here. Um, is, this, is this sustainable? Is this uh, a trend that's likely to continue? Uh, or, or is this just sort of a one-off because of, of this, the very strange circumstances we're in right now? I think, I think it's still got legs, primarily because the competition is, is so weak. You know, you've had, you know, companies like Homebase, um, Debenhams, um, that were, you know, previously quite big players in this space, sort of fall by the wayside. And I, I would also, you know, throw companies like John Lewis into the mix here. You know, one of my big sort of, I suppose, downers on on John Lewis is I just think it's its offer is is wrong and overpriced. We've also talked about customer service, uh, particularly when it comes to the online side of his yeah. business with John Lewis, which uh, both you and I have had some problems with in the past. Yeah, and I don't think we're I don't think we're alone. And um, this this is this is I mean this is basic base. We're coming back to you know I know we're talking about internet businesses here, but we're also talking about you know common sense business principles here that you know look after your customer, and you know when when it's the on, the online um, the thing about online is you're not dealing face to face with a customer. It's a it's a faceless transaction. But the experience is incredibly important, um, particularly not just in terms of what you're offering and what price, but how quickly you deliver it. How easy is it is it to return stuff if if you're not happy with it? And 
this is this is something that the winners in internet retail are spending a lot of time on. They're making it easier to to, to get deliveries. They're they're making it um, better. So, for example, you can increasingly now shop online quite late at night on some stores and get something delivered the next day. Amazon's been obviously leading in that for a long time, but other other retailers are either doing that or are going to do that. I think what you're beginning to see now is that whereas a few years ago, you know, the internet was almost like a free-for-all where you could get startups and upstarts who could come in and disrupt an industry. I think what you're beginning to see now is that as as certain companies develop scale and improve the quality of their business, they are actually creating a barrier to competition. They actually are developing a competitive edge. Um because you know, if you you go to an internet retailer and you know it doesn't turn up on time and you can't send it back and it, the delivery costs are too expensive, you might not shop with them again. And having having the ability to meet the customer's needs, both buying and returning, along with all the other stuff that goes with it, is actually quite hard to get right, and it costs money. You know, the, the the cost of logistics, and it's not just, you know, white man in a van. It's moved on from that. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm finding now that when I'm when I'm buying stuff on the Internet, I uh, the delivery experience of some companies is definitely getting better. Um, often that's not down to them. It's the choice of their third-party delivery partner uh, and some of them some of them are a lot better than others and it and it matters no i think you know the the, the comp- companies companies are doing this well and i think you know it's very it's now becoming more difficult in my opinion for new entrants to come in and take away market share and i also it means that means that if you have got this right or you are getting this right, you can take market share. And I think that, you know, going back to Dunelm, I think there's, you know, Dunelm is clearly, at the moment, there's a lot of pent-up demand from lockdown. I think the housing market is pretty buoyant at the moment with the stamp duty holiday. All these kind of things are, you know, helping their, their core business. But I also think that there's a lot of market share grab going on for, for Dunelm. And I think that as they continue to invest in the website, continue to invest in the whole sort of online experience and tinker it with their, you know, their store offering as well. So it's not just two separate businesses. These are working as one because and it's another thing that you know going off at a tangent but you know stores now if you've got the right store makeup and setup these are now actually an asset to your to your internet business as you've seen with next stores for example for for a long time that's quite hard to compete with and um service it's it's the intangible part of it it's the service 
as well as the pricing. You, you combine that with pricing and range, then you've got a very, very competitive offer. And certainly in the minds of a customer, you compare it with, with other companies that are not as good as doing that, then you, you're going to win more customers. And I think this is what Dunelm's doing, doing really well. So I think, I think that, okay, park aside the, the issues with the economy, consumer confidence for, for a moment, just looking at it from a sort of competitive positioning point of view, this com- I think this company has still got quite a way to go. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it's got itself in shape just at the right time um, to, uh, to really take advantage of a, a big shift in behaviour, which we're seeing right now. Another company which, which we've spoken about recently um, is AO World. They had some numbers this week. You, you previously expressed you know, your admiration of kind of what they're doing in their UK business. And that, that's really come through as well in, in terms of massive sales growth. Uh, in in the most recent period, and again, it's it's another company that will take a big chunk out of John Lewis. Yeah, I mean, again, they they've done it. You know, I, I mean, I've used AO a few times the last sort of year, eighteen months. Yeah, I bought a washing machine recently myself. Yeah, Easy. and the delivery ex- the delivery experience is good. You know, you 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 get you know you know they you know they ring you up three hours before, and then they ring you up half an hour before, and they. You know, the pricing is good and the customer experience is, you know, for a what you could argue is pretty much a commoditized product, is good in the UK. I think, you know, I, I always thought that AO, the big mistake that AO is making is trying to do this business in, in Europe, which isn't really, I don't think it's got legs. But I think, I think in, if it got out of Europe and concentrated on the UK, I mean, I, I argued this, what, I don't know, but I think I wrote about this, that I could see the way to a higher share price with AO World. And that's what's happened. Um, not, not probably for the reasons that I cited, but um, again, the company is competing very well. And obviously, John Lewis, I think John Lewis is coming out today, or I haven't seen it yet, but it's probably come out and said, something about its next five-year plan. Well, I, I, think, I think John Lewis' plan needs to be a good one. Yeah, yeah. Because... Um, Fierce competition. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if John Lewis went bust, to be honest. Me? Hey, say it uh, how you see it, Phil. Say it how you see it. I, I do, because I, I think it's got, a, it's got a business model that is totally unsuited for the way that people shop. It has a lot of... It has a very, very high cost base... It is behind the curve in so many things. I take Waitrose out of that. So John Waitrose will probably prop up John Lewis, but I think the John Lewis department store business has been in trouble for a long time. And I think is I'm not sure it can be fixed. I think there's so many problems with that business. And and you, and you learn that as a customer. And you and you see it in, you know, you also see it in the numbers. And I'm not so sure how how this business can be fixed. And so for leaner and more agile agile operators, um, there's there's quite rich pickings to be had here. Mm. We we talked about um, the importance of delivery um, and the importance of a store base to to kind of complement an internet business and almost symbiotic approach. Um, You mentioned uh, ASOS, um, which obviously doesn't have a store presence. 
They've also put out some very good numbers this week. But I know you have a caveat behind these numbers, which is part of their model is about allowing customers, customers to return stuff that they don't want. And that really hasn't been happening throughout COVID. So it's perhaps giving them, them a, a bit of an artificial boost. What, what, what do you make of these numbers? Should we be worried that, again, it's a temporary Philip that's going to revert to normality once we all revert some form of normality? I think if you look at you're going to look at this in two parts. So I think from the sales point of view, you know th- this business is very healthy. It clearly has, you know, if you look at look at the sales numbers, the sales growth, the customer numbers, the basket sizes are, are holding up. Gross margin is, you know, pretty much holding up. Um, from a sales point of view, and from a profitability on cost of sales, it's good. You know, there's a good offer here. There's a good business model, and I think from I expect the revenue growth to, you know, keep on going. From a customer point of view, this is this is a business that's ticking a lot of boxes. The issue comes comes further down is that, you know, ASOS or ASOS, whatever we call it, is you know it's always offered them the ability for free returns. So you, you'll get an example of, you know, somebody might buy five different shirts or whatever, five different items, try them on, keep two, send three back at no cost to them. That's great from a driving sales point of view because the customer thinks, I can do this at no cost to me. But it is a significant cost to, to ASOS. And, you know, you begin, you begin to see that in the results. Now, Whilst the sales growth will leverage through and you will get some profit growth from that, COVID has obviously meant that fewer people are going out, socialising. So perhaps they're not, well, not perhaps, they haven't been behaving as they have before. So they're buying fewer fewer things and they're not sending them back. And that's been great for ASOS because the costs of... The cost of um, of sending those back is massively reduced and the number is big. And, you know, the, the figure figure sort of mentioned um, along with a few other things is 45 million pounds, you know, and the profits have gone from sort of mid thirties operating profit last year to 150 million. Um, so, so 30, 30, 30, 35 in 28, 2019 to about 150 million, 151 million for the year that's just finished. And there's been this, obviously you've had some leverage. They've been very good at taking some other costs out of the business. But, you know, if you're looking at a move of 115 million in profit, 45 million of that, or a large chunk of that, has come from, from returns. So if people go back to behaving as they were before, this profit benefit is going to disappear. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's quite a significant number. 45 million is a, in itself a big swing in profit within that, uh, within that, that, what, that larger figure. Um, so, so, I mean, as somebody who's perhaps looking at these shares, they're, they're still quite expensive. You know, do we think, like Dunelm, this is, this is a company that has, has legs, that there's going to be further growth here uh, and that it can continue to deliver profitable growth that justifies that, that punchy valuation? Possibly. You know, medium to long term, you know, I think the company's in a good place. You know, it's you know, it's also you know, this is a global business as well. 
This is not this is not a a UK story like Dunelm is. This is a this is a global business. The, the caveat, which obviously is I think has spooked people, but is actually quite understandable, is that you know this is a business that predominantly sells to people in their twenties, and this is exactly the group of people that is having a very hard time from what is going on right now. Yeah, actually, uh, Lauren Almeida spoke to Hayes yesterday, the recruiter, um, and uh, they were talking specifically about graduate recruitment. And um, she found out yesterday that basically Hayes has completely stopped graduate recruitment for this year. Uh, so all those graduates in their 20s coming out of university will not be able to get a job uh, in those graduate schemes. They were... Um, they're going to do a double intake when they next can, let's call it a year's time, which means in a year's time it's going to be twice as hard for those same graduates to get a job as it was before. So, yeah, this is, this is, a, this is a customer group that potentially faces a lot of financial difficulty and, and also you know, no real opportunity for, for casual work in the hospitality industry, which is what a lot of you know, uh, pre-work graduates may have done. That's gone. Absolutely, Absolutely yeah. It's a, it's a real worry. Um, and, you know, I, I think, you know, I can see, I think this is a really good business. I, I think that, um, you know, it's very, you know, there are issues we, we've just talked about, but I think there's a bit of a cloud over it in, in the short term. And I think that it's, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see these shares drift. Yeah, well, they did drift. Well, I say drift. They, uh, they, they tanked, really, down about 10 quid when these results came out, which, which actually looked quite good on the face of it. Um, yeah, I guess the outlook is a worry. Should we, uh, should we, talk, about Do- should we talk about Domino's Pizza, uh, which I know you were keen to talk about? This is a business that's had a, its fair share of trouble um, that we've discussed regularly on this podcast, but the share price is sort of back up and running again. Uh, again, a bit of a COVID tailwind here. Um, has anything changed? No, I, I, I think it's still got a profit problem. This this company, um, still got. I mean, I think this is a really fascinating case study. Actually, I think um, the the franchise businesses, are, you know, investors, you know, quite rightly like a lot of the characteristics of, of franchise businesses, um, largely because many franchise businesses allow the franchisor to take a cut of the income without a lot of the costs and they can be incredibly profitable. And, you know, if they're growing, if the franchise is growing, then, you know, you have uh, a very good business. And Domino's Pizza looked a lot like this for many, many years. What makes Domino's Pizza different is that actually it doesn't make most of its profits from, from royalty fees. It makes its money from ingredients. And, you know, if we look at, I think one of the reasons why the shares reacted very badly yesterday is that all of the like-for-like sales were were good. If you actually, what you actually need to look at as far as the key driver is, is orders. Because if there are fewer orders, that means there's less demand for ingredients. And, you know, you, you then put that on the same cost base. And if sales actually fall for, for ingredients, Domino's has got a headwind on profits. And that seems to be what's going on here. 
And it's also very interesting, you know, you look at the competitive, put this in the, com- the context of the competition on orders. We had some figures from Just Eat this week, and their UK business saw order growth of 43%. Now, clearly that's not all coming from pizzas, but what it's, but what it's showing is that Just Eat has an app and has a service that clearly consumers like and also it gives the independent restaurants and you know and also also some of the big chains you know quite a competitive route to market and you know dominoes in that context doesn't look very good you know with with order growth actually down and this this sort of comes on to another point with with um with dominoes is that because it makes most of its profit from selling ingredients, there's arguably a, co- a conflict of interest between its interests and the interests of its franchisees. Because if you look at the way that Domino's has tried to... Domino's obviously wants to grow by selling more pizzas. Its franchisees want to sell more pizzas, but they want to make profits from it. And the, the strategy that, that Domino's has, has done in recent years has been to open more stores in an existing franchise territory. Now, that might grow the overall number of pizzas and grow market share, um, but it's come at the expense of the franchisees' existing stores because if you're the only shop in town and another shop opens, they take sales from you and they take profits from you. And if I'm a franchisee, I'm going to get a bit grumpy about that. The other issue is that there are... Domino's is very reliant on a small number of very large franchisees who own a lot of Domino's pizzas outlets. And these franchisees are have become a little bit disenchanted, to say the least, about how Domino's passes on... Um, ingredients cost, particularly the cheese price. And it's one of those things that we all gripe about sometimes, that companies are very, very quick to pass on cost increases, but not particularly uh, quick at passing on cost cost decreases. And I think that a lot of franchisees feel that they're getting a rough deal from Domino's. And this is a problem. This is a problem because... Domino's has got to find a way to solve this so that both it and its franchisees can grow its profits at the same time. And I'm not so sure it can. Well, it's been trying for, it's been trying for quite some time. Um, I mean, speaking of costs, um, you mentioned in your Alpha report uh, that, that obviously being in a business where they are coming into contact with the, the general public, uh, Domino's has had to spend a lot of money actually be, becoming COVID safe as well. Um, is, I mean, is this uh, a significant problem for them? Is this a significant cost? Is this holding back profit growth to any, any serious degree? Or is it just the general lack of under, underlying growth that is the problem here? Well, I think there's two issues again here. You know, there's the profit of Domino's and there's the profit of, profit of its franchisees. And, you know, there's been, there's definitely been, you know, ma- food manufacturing. And obviously this is what, Do- I mean, Domino's is in, you know, the food manufacturing, food supply business. We've had a lot of COVID cases in these kind of environments. So money has been spent to, to make, you know, make their manufacturing on their supply facilities COVID compliant, but not, not massive drag on profits. 
What's more interesting in terms of, of COVID is the change the change in the in the sales mix coming from the from the stores. So what what Domino's trends to try and do in normal times is incentivize people to come and collect pizzas because it offers free delivery, but you obviously have to pay the people to deliver it. So a year ago, about a third of Domino's store sales were deliveries. Now it's about a fifth. So the cost of delivery for the franchisees is, is going up. So it's another squeeze on profitability for the franchisees. Now that's, no, that's not Domino's UK, the parent company's fault. It's just a fact of, fact of life as we are at the moment. But it's again, you know, the franchisees are, they need a bit, and they've had a bit of help from things like VAT cuts and things like that. But generally speaking, they're probably not as, ha- you know, not doing as well on their profitability as they were a few years ago. And this, this needs to be sorted out. Yeah, just a little bit more tension in the, that sort of, uh, that relationship, presumably that creates, I mean, the shares are not exactly uh, expensive, but, but I guess the problem here is without the growth, even a, even a P of 20 is, is looking a bit steep. Yeah, I mean, how you know the thing is, how how does a business like this grow? I mean, it almost you know, it, it almost has half the market anyway. So it's quite difficult for it. I mean, you have to grow through the the market itself. Grow. It's difficult to see how this is a company that can grab a lot more market share. And I think you know, people need to be mind mindful of the you know the, the apps, the delivery apps that are opening up alternatives and perhaps you know the market share is is at risk i think there's a lot of problems with this business it's it's a business that that has been very very well run there's a lot to like about how it's set up the customer experience and so on but it's got a growth problem and it's not an easy one to fix no, but I guess uh, the problems of Domino's pale into uh, insignificance in comparison to the problems that pubs are about to face again. Now we go into a, a second form of lockdown. Uh, we saw Masters, which you've written about this week, cutting uh, thousands of jobs, wasn't it? Thousands Just of jobs. 2,150, I think, is Ab- the number. Yeah. Absolutely horrific. And I think Weatherspoons came out with uh, some numbers today. Uh, and Tim Martin is not a happy man. Not a happy man at all. And he actually talks about the actual costs that they've incurred putting their pubs into COVID-safe mode uh, that's now essentially lost if they can't trade. It's, uh, it's, it's incredibly difficult for that, that, that sector right now. Well, it wasn't exactly easy before. No, not even no. before COVID. No, it's absolutely horrific. Yeah. Well, let's hope they, uh, they can resolve them. Um, brilliant, Phil. Good to talk again. And uh, I'll speak to you again next week. See you later. Thanks a lot. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.